I want to invite you guys to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, you will also see a copy of tonight's sermon text um, in your worship guide. As I mentioned last week, uh, we walked through this text, and as I mentioned last week, we concentrated particularly on God's ordered plan and Him pronouncing that it was good. And tonight, in a special way, we'll look at simple words, and God said, and then we'll look at the words that he speaks. So last week was kind of part one of this text. Um, This week would be part two. I mentioned last week that this passage of scripture has a real poetic quality to it. It's not really even a story. It's more like a theological poem that is told before the heart of the story begins. And so to bring out that poetic quality, I've asked my friends here to Um, read it in different parts. And before we read, I want to say one more quick thing. Have you guys noticed how the book of Genesis does not seem to be very interested in answering a lot of the questions that we would want to ask of it? Have you all noticed that? Have you? Okay. You know, God's going to begin to speak, and, and worlds are going to be created, and I know that sometimes that raises some questions. I know it does for me. I care about those things. Um, So we're going to find a time at some point to just have a conversation together. I'm not sure how we'll do it. We did these pastoral chats over the last year, but we're going to have a time where we can just talk through some of the theological ideas behind these passages, you know, that are probably too much to get into in the context of a sermon. So just stay tuned for that. Um, We hope to do that soon. So having said that, I want to encourage you to listen carefully and closely to this God's word, and I'm going to match or pair this reading with a reading from the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And I want you to just hear, because it'll help us make sense of what's going on. So listen closely to this God's word. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, 
and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And from the book of Revelation, listen to this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white, white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment we ask... Lord, simply and boldly that you would do for us in this room by the power of your spirit, the very thing that you do in this passage of scripture. Lord, would you, by the power of your spirit, alongside your word, would you create, Lord, recreate, renew, and restore our hearts, we pray. Pray it in the name of this living one, Jesus. Amen. Y'all want to introduce this sermon with an illustration from the world of home ownership, okay? 
the world of home ownership. I don't know if it's just me and the fact that I own a home and I'm still kind of new to getting used to it. I don't know if it's the kind of community that we live in. I don't know if it's just the friends that I spend time with. But let's just say there's a lot of talk around my life related to owning houses and more specifically complaining about them. Okay. So I'm with my friends often and somebody will make mention of the fact that there's a crack in their ceiling. Or maybe I'll mention the fact that when it rains hard, okay, not just a little or medium, but hard, hard, there's a puddle of water that just seeps out from under my fireplace onto my living room. I don't think that's supposed to be that way. Uh, I might talk about how I literally can figure out nothing about the electricity at my house and how none of it is the way it's supposed to be. But every now and then, in these conversations, you hear two dreaded words. Your friend might say to you these two words, foundation issues. Foundation issues are notoriously costly. They're notoriously hard to detect. They're notorious for causing all kinds of other extremely expensive problems somewhere else within the house. Now, real quick, if you're not a homeowner, let me just say to you, congratulations. <laughs> and, and if you are not a homeowner and you're tired of hearing homeowners gripe about their homes, I just apologize on behalf of all of us, okay? We're sorry. We will try to do better, okay? Um, but I bring this up because I want to say to you that at least I will speak f- for me but I think me, I, I wonder about you. I'm pretty sure about us as a church family. And I think I can even say about us more broadly as in American Christians. I think that we have some foundation issues that are causing some cracks, that are costly. And I think that this passage of Scripture in particular is a good text to look to to address those issues and to perhaps, by the power of God's Spirit, if He would be so kind, that He might, in your own heart and soul and life, do a little repair in these moments we have together. Tonight, we're going to focus particularly this rich and full text that could have thousands of sermons preached from it. We're going to focus particularly on these words that keep occurring, and God said. We're going to focus on the words that he speaks. We're going to focus on what happens when he speaks those words. Because I think these words and this focus will help us address three foundational issues. Okay, here's foundational issue number one. I'm going to tell you where this sermon's going in advance. Foundational issue number one that I think this text addresses, it addresses the idea of how God rules the world that he made. Because God is presented in this text as a great ruler, and there is a particular way that he 
rules. It's a foundational idea that the rest of the scriptures will be built upon. God rules his world and he rules his world in a certain way. And we have to understand this to make sense of our life. Foundational issue number two that I think this text addresses is the idea of obedience. What it means to obey God. The Bible for the rest of its pages will give a high volume of moral instruction. But to understand and make sense of the Bible's moral teaching about how we should live and what it means to obey, we have to get a sense of the foundational ideas of what, to use a fancy word, the moral order that is presented in this text. And then a third foundational issue that I think this passage addresses is the foundational issue of what it means to know God. So that's the way we will proceed as we go. Um, As we go, some of it will kind of feel sort of philosophical, but I promise at each point to do my best to make it practical and aimed at your heart as I can do. Okay, so let's take a look here. First of all, what does this text teach us about God's rule and how he rules? Now, if you were to look with me at verse 3, or perhaps verse 6, perhaps verse 9, perhaps verse 11, perhaps verse 24, perhaps verse 26, you get this concept, like I spoke of last week, of God as master builder. He is on a building project, and as I mentioned last week, this is a God who's competent, who knows what he's doing. He's building a world. He's building particularly a dwelling place, a house in which he can live. The scriptures teach that the earth is the Lord and the, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The scriptures teach that God makes his dwelling place the earth. He makes a world and invites people in just a couple paragraphs later to live with him in this world. It's like his house. And this is not new to me. These are things that scholars spend a lot of time thinking about. But God's house in particular in this text, if I can build this this illustration that I've heard someone use before, it's it's multi-storied. It has a foundation. The scriptures will talk about how God's laid the foundation of the seas, the ocean, or kind of the foundation of the house, the basement of the house. It has a second story, a ground story, if you will. It's the land and, and... the mountains and, and the earth itself. And it has a, a second story, or I guess a third story. It has the skies and the heavens. He's building a multi-storied home. And in this passage, in these verses, when God is speaking and things are beginning to be created, you can think of it as God furnishing his house. So he puts creatures, sea creatures, teeming sea creatures in his basement, in the seas. He puts animals and plants on the land. He puts the birds in the sky. He puts the stars in the sky. He puts the sun and the moon in the sky. He's furnishing his house with beautiful things, with things that bring him glory. He's also, if I might put it this way, picking out paint colors. I mean, he's looking at a dark black, almost navy blue sky. If you've ever been somewhere out west, 
like I was this summer, you'll realize that the sky is almost navy blue. You don't realize it. And there are so many more stars than you realize, than you think. But he scatters the stars with these particular colors and flicks them up into the sky because quite frankly, he likes the way it looks. And he knows you will gain joy by looking at it too. When the sun is setting, what kind of color is that anyway? Is it orange? Is it yellow? Is it purpley? Is it pinkish? It's this, these beautiful hues of rich color. Because God wants it to look that way, and he knows that you'll get joy in looking at it too. But God is building his house as a king would, building a house to dwell in so that he can sit down which he will do on day seven and rest, not because he's tired, because he is sitting down to now establish his rule. This is what kings do. They build a house and they sit down in it to rule. And this text describes how he then rules. And I'm going to belabor this point. He rules by speaking. God rules his world through his word. God's phenomenal, creative, unprecedented, unrivaled power is housed most especially in his word. I'm going to belabor this point some more. Verse 3, and God said, and then things begin to be created. Verse 6, and God said. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 11, and God said. Verse 11 again, and it was so. Verse, <clears throat> verse, um, on an, sorry, on and on it goes. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Verse 24, verse 26, and God said. We get a picture of God saying things, speaking things by the power of his mouth in order to rule the world that he has made. We have a God who rules his world by his mouth. His words, God's words, have a creative power to them. When he speaks, things can't help but occur. When he speaks, it's not possible for something to not occur. It has to occur because he said so. See, my words, the words I'm using right now, our words, human words, don't quite have that power. Now, our words have tremendous power, and some of our words can be words that create action. For example, if I were to stand here as I'm speaking to you and in a panicked tone of voice yelled out, fire, that might cause you to get up and run out of the back of the room. In that moment, my word would have had a power to create an action. But what I'm telling you is all of God's words are that way. 
His word has a creative power. And the fact that God is powerful and he created the world and particularly that he created it with the words of his mouth for the rest of the Bible, that idea becomes exhibit A for why you can be certain that God can fulfill all his promises to you. He can fulfill every promise to you because he made the heavens and earth with his mouth. Is there anything that he cannot do? The scriptures will answer that question with a resounding, no, there's obviously nothing he can't do if his word is that powerful. Now, I want to kind of speak practically to you, just a couple of random examples of how this plays out practically. First of all, have you noticed that when you come here on a Sunday to worship, have you noticed this? Like, I'm really hoping right now you've noticed this. But every time you come here on a Sunday, have you ever noticed that we make a big deal of reading God's word out loud for us to hear and respond to? Have you ever noticed how we sing songs and we pick songs in particular that we believe proclaim and put in song form the truth of God's word? Sometimes we sing God's words literally in the songs. Have you ever noticed the fact that before whoever it is that preaches up here, at some point as they begin, toward the beginning, they will read God's word? And it's, it's a way of surrendering and submitting what they're going to say underneath what he has already said. Have you noticed that when they're preaching, whoever it is, if it's me or whoever, have you noticed the way we try to explain what's in the Bible verses that we just read? Have you ever noticed that when you leave, we try to send you out with this good word out the door? Have you noticed these things? I'm really hoping you've noticed this. But the reason that we do this is because we believe that God's word has a creative power. That God's word, when proclaimed and read and sung, and celebrated and studied and applied that it has the power to renew and restore hearts and to make a church. When you go to like your home group in the middle of the week, have you noticed the way that you discuss the truths of God's word most of those weeks? And what was said in moments like this, you're trying to apply those, you're trying to wrestle with the scriptures. It's because we believe that God's word creates true sense of fellowship and community. See, if it's true, if it is true, and I'm 100% totally, 100% committed to this idea, if it's true that God's word has a creative power in a moment when we physically show up with our bodies to hear it, to sing it, if, if that is true, then it makes being here physically vitally important to your heart and your soul. If applying God's word to your life, if it's true that when that happens, there's a creative power inside of your heart that happens, then it makes showing up for your home group for those conversations vitally important to your heart and to your soul. 
When you sit down to read God's word, you, you sit down to read it in your, say, 10 minutes. Not because you just, not because there's some unwritten rule out there that every Christian is supposed to read their Bible for 10 minutes a day, but because you have an, an, an opportunity in that moment to encounter the living God and his creative power and to submit yourself to his rule through his word. See, suddenly that makes something not something you have to do, but something you get to do. It becomes alive and living. We serve a God, according to this text, who rules his world, and he rules it particularly through his word. Second foundation idea, the idea of our obedience. I want you to notice the pattern here. Again, if you were to look at verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 24, what you see happening is God is speaking and things are responding. God speaks and it is so. God speaks and it happens. God speaks and things. And I know this is hard and maybe a little bit hard to explain, but things are obeying his voice. Remember this, Genesis is the first book of the first five books of the Old Testament. And the first five books of the Old Testament are God's law, his instruction about what it would mean to live in covenant with him and obey him. And this passage here becomes the foundation of the Bible's moral instruction. A professor of mine in seminary said it like this, everything that exists, and this is, this is one of these things that once I say it, you're gonna have to sit with it for a second. Everything that exists, every beautiful thing that exists, exists because it obeyed God's word. And the way that the logic of the Bible goes, is that if everything that exists, exists because it obeyed God's word, the most beautiful mountain you've ever seen exists because it obeyed God's word, then it begs the question, wouldn't it make sense for you and I to obey him? Wouldn't it make sense that joy and beauty and flourishing will come to you and to me when we live obediently to God's word. I'll try to get practical and aim this a little bit at your heart. Your life will make the most sense. You will find your fullest sense of flourishing your life will be sweetest and richest and most rewarding and most beautiful when you are living in obedient response to God's word. Now notice that I did not say your life will be easier if you obey God. Because here's as good time, good as time I need to tell you that's not true. Notice I did not say 
that your life will feel so unbelievably exciting all the time when you obey God's word. Because this is as good a time as any to tell you that that might not be true. But what the scriptures teach us over and over again is that there is this, in the words of a pastor I admire, this long obedience, this long obedience in the direction toward God that yields for your life sweetness, richness, flourishing. This is what the psalmist means in Psalm 119 that it says that your word is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Let me me illustrate it this way. The scriptures say that God commands the dawn, okay? That the sun rises, not just because the sun is on some sort of clock and it therefore rises, but the sun rises because in some mysterious, fresh way, God tells it to again. And it obeys. And, And what that means practically is that when I'm sitting on my porch, and the sun early in the morning is coming through these, this tree that's in my front yard. And when the wind blows, the green leaves on this tree, they're about this big around, they kind of flutter in a certain way. And it becomes this beautiful, dazzling sight. In that moment, I'm supposed to have this conscious thought. Yeah, that beautiful thing has obeyed God's voice. And I should probably obey his voice too. My life will be sweet, it will be beautiful, it will resemble in some way what I'm looking at right now if I will obey. I told you guys last week about when I was at Big Sur in California and the, the salty breeze and the crushing roaring of the waves and the cliffs, it's the most beautiful place I've ever been. I told you in that moment, it's like I heard God say to me louder than out loud, I made all this, you can trust me. If I can add to that, given what I'm telling you right now, it's like in that moment, God would have said, I made all this, you can trust me. And trust me, you will find beauty and joy and flourishing if you will obey me. The natural order is pointing you to the beauty of obedience to God. Again, not because you have to, but because you Get to obedience becomes a rich invitation if it's commands being called out from this God. It becomes an invitation to life and joy and peace. This is so clear to me, y'all, in my parenting. In my parenting of my kids, I have rules for them, and they will gripe about my rules. Man, they will gripe about my rules. They will, I mean, they will really, really complain about my rules. And I will say to them, buddy, baby, if you will obey your dad's voice, I'm telling you there will be blessing for you today. I'm telling you, every single thing I ask you to do is only for your good and flourishing, always. Except when I sin against them and have to apologize for that. But of course, God does not have that problem. If 
Foundational idea, God's rule. He rules through the words of his mouth. Foundational idea number two, our life tastes sweetest when we obey. Foundational idea number three. This text builds the foundation for what it means to know God. Again, we hear, we hear in verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 24, 26, we hear God speaking. This text builds the foundation of what it means to know God, and I mean this in two ways. First way, God is presented to us from this text as a God of self-disclosure. He tells us what he's like. From this text onward, he will constantly be speaking to his people. We have a God who talks. And he tells us, he tells us about himself. He tells us actually in the scriptures what he's thinking. He tells us in the scriptures what he's feeling. No, he doesn't disclose everything to us. Some of his ways are hidden. But he tells us what he expects from us. Now, this is a gift of grace. In the ancient world, as I spoke of last week, the, the deities all around, you just sort of never knew what they were wanting. But this God says, this is what I'm wanting. This is what I'm looking for. And he, and he lays it out clearly through his word. If you're going to know the God as is presented in the Bible, the only God that there is, the maker of all things, you're going to have to know him through his word. But this text lays the foundational idea of knowing God in a second way also. You can know God. And the reason why you can know him is because God's communication, God's word, God's disclosure, God's revelation of who he is, is ultimately a person. And that person is named Jesus. I read from you, or read to you from the book of Revelation, because in that text in particular, as I read it, did you notice that there is this one who is speaking? John quickly said, I heard a voice. But when he sees who's speaking, he says, it's, it's, it's like a son of man. In other words, a human person a person with flesh and bone and skin, with hair and eyes. And his physical features are, de are described with the language. John Colburn and I discussed this this week. He, he raised this, the language of creation. It's like his sun, his eyes were shining like the sun. And then did you notice when I read that out loud, this Jesus that is speaking to John, has a voice that is like the roar of many waters. This is, this is John's way of telling you that Jesus Christ is this same God of creation. 
And the writer to the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter one says, long ago and at many times and in many places, God spoke to us by the prophets. But in these latter days, he has spoken to us by his son, who by the way, he is appointed heir over all things. And he does at this very moment, Uphold the universe by the word of his power, having inherited a name that is above the angels, though just a little bit lower. The angels' names are a little lower than his. And it, this Jesus, who is the God of creation, who has this powerful word, a, a sword is coming out of his mouth in the book of Revelation. It's an indicator. This is the God of creation, the one who speaks and things happen the one who rules the world through his word. The gospel of John tells us that this word, Jesus, came near to us so that we could from him behold grace and truth. In other words, Jesus is God's fullest picture, fullest disclosure. And this speech that is this person, Jesus, has left absolutely zero question about what God thinks and how he acts toward you. For fun, this week, I read everything that Jesus says in the Bible. And I cannot even tell you how tempted I am to just start reading all of it right now. Like hand me a Bible with the red letters and I will start going. But here's what his words reveal. And in a world of lies, he is true and honest. In a world of abuses of power, he is gentle and kind and gracious. In a world that is sick in so many ways, his words in the gospel stories carry with them a healing power. Here's a sampling of some of the things that he says. He says, come to me if you are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He'll say to people, I tell you the truth. He'll say precious words like this. I am willing. Be clean. He'll say things like, I lay down my life willingly for you. He says, I will neither leave you nor forsake you. He says, I'm coming soon. You know, when my kids go to bed at night, we do this little catechism with them. It's like a question and answer. And if you know me, you would know that I adapt it and change it and kind of make it up in the moment for fun because that's how I am. But this is the way it goes. 
kind of amplify it and spice it up a little bit. But I'll say to my little boys or my little girl, these questions and they'll answer. And in these questions and their answers, I'm telling you right now contains all that there is. I'll say, who made you? And sometimes as they nod and fall to sleep, they say, God. And I'll say, really, God made you? Huh, that's interesting. What else did God make? Sometimes they're like, Dad, just do the questions. (laughs) I'll say, that's really interesting. What else did God make? They'll say, all things. And I'll say, baby, why? 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 Why did God make? Why would he make you and all things? And she'll say back, for his own glory. And I'll say, hmm, it's pretty special. How, Millie, can you live for his glory? And she'll say, and it's it's a beautiful sermon on Genesis 1. How can you live for his glory? And she'll say, by obeying him and doing what he commands. And I'll say, well, why should you? Why should you obey him and do what he commands? And then she answers back, because he made me. Because he knows me. Because he loves me. Let's pray. Or these things are easier or to talk about from a pulpit than to live in the painful, difficult, broken, highly chaotic temptations and struggles that we face. Lord, but I thank you that you are the most powerful being in the universe, but you're at the same time the most kind, and that you have spoken to us by your word. It's the way you rule. And I pray for me and these friends that we would know tonight that we can know you in order that we will find our fullest joy when we obey you. Help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.